welcome back to the Franchise Festival podcast, where we go in-depth with noteworthy video game series from the last 40 years. For Season 2, we're covering the evolution of Capcom's Resident Evil. You can find us online at FranchiseFestivalPodcast.com, or follow us on Twitter at Franchise underscore Fest. If you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes or consider funding us at Patreon.com slash FranchiseFestival. Patrons will get shouted out on the show and get access to bonus episodes covering series spin-offs and other topics. The latest of these at the time of recording is Resident Evil Survivor 2 Code Veronica. And on a related note, we'd like to welcome our newest patron, Celeste. Thanks so much. As ever, we are your hosts, Chris. Spencer. And I'm Hamilton. Let's talk Resident Evil Remake. So there's not a ton of information in English on the development of this game. Uh, Most of what I found I pulled from the Itchy Tasty book once again, as well as some kind of um, questionably translated interviews with staff who worked on the game that originally appeared on Capcom's website. Uh, These came to me by way of uh, a website called survivehor.biohazardfrance.net. So hopefully we aren't getting anything too garbled here. Yoshiko Okamoto had been pushing for a Resident Evil presence on Nintendo consoles since early 1997, which was uh, bolstered by the success of the Resident Evil 2 port by Angel Studios to the Nintendo 64. Once that came out, Capcom started paying a lot more attention to Nintendo hardware for their survival horror series. They started developing Resident Evil Zero, on the Nintendo 64 before shifting development of that to the GameCube. And uh, that process inspired Capcom to announce uh, at a a huge event in September 2001 that Capcom would be partnering with Nintendo to bring Resident Evil games exclusively to the GameCube platform for several years. It was apparently a decision made specifically at Shinji Mikami's insistence, as he was Capcom's most famous producer at the time, and he felt that, uh, and I quote from Itchy Tasty, games were about more than just graphics, they needed to be entertaining and meaningful. He believed that Sony, which was a consumer electronics manufacturer, lacked the focus on games that Nintendo was known for, end quote. The relationship uh, I was interested to find was also built on how positive both companies viewed the development process for The Legend of Zelda, Oracle of Ages, and Oracle of Seasons which you can listen to us talk about in Season 1 of the podcast, uh, it seems like everybody at Nintendo and everybody at Capcom were really pleased with how harmoniously the companies worked on those. Uh, So this was just kind of a natural fit for them. There's been a lot of speculation that Nintendo paid Capcom for the exclusivity deal, and every employee interviewed for the book Itchy Tasty vehemently denied this. There is, at this point, no evidence to suggest that uh, there was any money that crossed hands to pay for the exclusivity. It seems to have been a genuine creative decision. 
Back to Resident Evil Remake. Uh, in 2000, Shinji Mikami asked Capcom Production Studio 4's Hiroki Kato to direct a remake of the original Resident Evil while Zero was in development at Capcom Production Studio 3 under director Koji Oda and writer Noboro Sugimura. So Sugimura, who'd been working on the franchise since uh, Resident Evil 2, had no involvement with Remake. He was uh, busy working on Zero. Unfortunately, Kato's initial proposal was too conservative for Mikami. He pretty much just updated the graphics of the original Resident Evil. Uh, so Mikami stepped back in to, uh, for the first time since the original Resident Evil, direct uh, one of the entries in Capcom's big survival horror series. I think it's also important to note that this game was actually not really considered a remake, per se, as the game honestly really includes about 30% of the original game's content. It's more accurate to call it a redo, or reimagining, yeah. um, as this game includes a lot of ideas that the producers wanted for the original game, but could not accomplish due to various restrictions. Yeah, absolutely. Consider the very first Resident Evil like more like a prototype that they could accomplish at the time. And basically, once this game came out, this game was pretty much considered like de facto Resident Evil, which is why it's actually named just Resident Evil. Mm -hmm. We actually tacked on the remake ourselves because we wanted to differentiate between the original. But honestly, it was just called Resident Evil or Biohazard because it was it was almost intended, I believe, anyway, to just replace it. This is supposed to be it. Yeah, and it did. Like, this game functionally replaced the original in a way that uh, the Resident Evil 2 remake and Resident Evil 3 remakes would not, mm -hmm. because this is functionally the vision, like you said, it's it's functionally the vision that they had for the original game fulfilled. There, there have been folks talking about maybe going back and, and getting like an over-the-shoulder remake of the original Resident Evil or something, and that has consistently been shot down by Capcom because they got it right this time. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, this is the vision of what Resident Evil was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So there's really, there's not a lot of value seen in going back and uh, revisiting that well. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they just stuck it, stuck the landing so definitively with this that it functionally replaced the original. Indeed, yes. So an early build of the game featured fully 3D backgrounds, uh, which, appropriately enough, were very similar to the experiments uh, that had been carried out for the original Resident Evil, but the polygonal backgrounds were abandoned when Mikami and his team decided that pre-rendered areas still offered so much more detail than real-time rendering. Shinji Mikami's primary goals for the game were surprising and scaring people who came in expecting it to be the same as its source material. He still wanted to uh, spook folks who thought, like, this isn't a museum piece, right? Like, it needs to carry the spirit of the original, not just the uh, events of the original. He wanted to tie the story into Resident Evil Zero, which was in development during this time. So he dropped kind of a lot of breadcrumbs that would connect the two, especially concerning Rebecca Chambers. And he wanted to produce an overall more professional package that lacked the rough edges of his directorial debut back in 96. It's, uh, it's easy to forget just how far Mikami had come in the six years separating these two games' publication. He had gone from the original Resident Evil being his first time as a director after having worked on, uh, I think it was Goof Troop, and <laughs> uh, a couple other licensed tie-ins, to uh, by you know 2001, he's 
a star. He's a, a major video game celebrity because he uh, popularized survival horror. So uh, this is kind of him trying to go back and burnish his legacy by producing what he wanted to create originally, but lacked the uh, the funding or technology to fulfill. One of the interesting things that turned up quite a bit in those uh those staff interviews from the internet were um, how the team had uh, tried to redesign monsters so that they were still scary six years after they had originally debuted. Masaki Yamanaka was the primary staffer responsible for this, and he worked uh, really closely with Mikami so that uh, they could fulfill Mikami's vision. My favorite detail about this, and good heavens, listeners, we dodged a bullet here, is that zombies were originally planned to be invisible in the remake. I can't believe they thought that would be a good idea at any point. It's fascinating. What's he directed? He's directed the original Resident Evil, uh, Resident Evil 4, the Resident Evil remake, the Evil Within and the Evil Within 2. Like, Mikami is plainly a horror genius working in, in interactive fiction. And this is such a ludicrous misstep that it's it's baffling that he ever considered it to begin with but we all have bad days you know well it's also so weird to me because they go into such great detail about wanting to render this to make it more realistic and to mm-hmm. scare people like oh this is the technology we can accomplish now let's let's make these creatures creepy and terrifying and yet you think to make a creature invisible i mean unless like you know, I don't know, you hear their voices and then they mm-hmm. become visible or something. Maybe that's the direction, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, and like, they they would succeed with this later on. Resident Evil Revelations 2 does a lot of really great work with an invisible enemy type. So there is something there, uh, but to have it be the default enemy, I mean, arguably the iconic enemy for which your series is known, mm-hmm. uh, like, just thank goodness. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank goodness uh, Yamanaka managed to talk Mikami out of this. <laughs> so uh, their compromise that uh, Yamanaka proposed and Mikami supported was the Crimson Head, which we'll talk about later on. But that's uh, the Crimson Head is uh, a new zombie type that would be startling both to first-time players as well as people who were expecting the zombies to behave like they had in the original game. If you want to experience what the Invisible Zombie game would have been like, you can do so in a bonus mode in this. Yes, that's true. Yeah, uh, invisible enemy mode, I think it's called, makes every enemy in the game invisible. Oh, fun. It's, ooh, it is unplayable. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's a fun reward. You know, it even, it comes with like a little note by Shinji Mikami, which I think is really sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanking you for playing the game so much to unlock it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there is, there is a certain spookiness associated with the mansion having no visible enemies, right? Like, it's just desolate. Yeah. But it is no fun. (laughs) A couple other proposed changes that didn't quite happen were that the shark enemy, Neptune, was going to be even bigger. Uh, The shark was going to be about half the size of the shark tank itself. Uh, But this was scaled back down to, you know, just simply kind of blue whale size. Uh, There was also a red hunter enemy that was uh, going to move three times faster than regular hunters. And that was also cut, thank goodness. The crew expanded from four initial members to uh, dozens eventually throughout 2001 as the project's scope widened. 
I, they, it was one of these kind of classic examples of scope creep, though, uh, in this case, a good example of it, because the team kept proposing and implementing major new areas to the game and characters that weren't present in the original, especially the, uh, certainly the area behind the mansion, the, the crypts, uh, Lisa Trevor, all that good stuff that the remake is known for, uh, kind of occurred as, as the staff grew and grew and grew. The final two months of production, from January to February 2002, were a nightmarish slog. Uh, According to interviews with the developers, they worked brutally long hours every day, often not returning home, and there was even a flu bug that went around the crowded office and pretty much infected every member of the development team over that two-month period. It sounds absolutely awful uh, and is a uh, kind of a grim reminder that the bad working conditions that we know in the video game industry today have been around a long time. And like we're, we're becoming more aware of them and starting to um, try to support efforts to improve those working conditions now. But anytime you look back at the, the design studios of the 90s or early 2000s, like it's, it's often the same story. It's just people being pushed to work way too hard uh, to create really great content on a short timetable. The game launched... Uh, pretty soon after it was announced in March 2002 in Japan, and then in North America only a month later. The European version was delayed a few months just due to localization, since uh, PAL region requires uh, multiple languages to be present. So that uh, made its debut in September 2002. The reviews were more or less universally positive. Uh, the graphics in particular were regarded as nearly photorealistic. It was stunning. It, it was. It was stunning. Like, it, it, it looked like a horror movie. It still looks like a horror movie. I remember actually kind of thinking what to expect, because I played the very first one on the PlayStation uh, way back in the day, and I was like, eh. For whatever reason, <laughs> I didn't really play through it. It wasn't due to the graphics. I mean, hey, graphics right. at the time. It was abrasive. That was, Yeah. But it was what it was. Yeah. But in this game, I actually could not play through it. Um, I remember distinctly. I mean, I did play through it eventually, but I remember very distinctly, distinctly that um, I saw the first zombie and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so real. I'm freaked out. Mm-hmm. And then there's this part where I think it's like by stairs or by the stairs. And if you uh, press the action button, you listen in and you hear these like unholy moanings. Which yeah, actually yep. is from Lisa Trevor. Yep. But when I heard that, I actually shut the game off. It actually <laughs> creeped me out so bad um, that I didn't play it for a while. Eventually, I mean, it took some time. I eventually went back and played that. That's why I'm actually more familiar with um, the remake than I am the original. Same. But I, I remember that. I, I turned it off and I was like, nope, I can't do this. Yeah, it it they they succeeded wildly in, in crafting one of the scariest games of its era. And and this is a really nice little high watermark for the first generation of survival horror because Silent Hill 2 came out right around this time too. And so you've got the Resident Evil remake and Silent Hill 2 kind of making good on the promise of the 32-bit generation. Um, yeah, I, I, I remember uh, my aunt and uncle had a GameCube and uh, this was the game that I rented when I went over to stay at their house for a weekend and they lived in this uh, like kind of creepy old farmhouse in the woods. And I got maybe 40 minutes into this and I couldn't keep going. I was just too scared. Yeah. Uh, playing it back then. 
to their credit, they did a fantastic job. As far as noteworthy ports go, this did make its way to the Wii in uh, 2008 in Japan and then in 2009 around the rest of the world. That version had no differences from the original. It was just a, a straight port of the GameCube version. The HD remaster, however, which launched on all major consoles and PC in November 2014 in Japan and then January 2015 around the world, represents a pretty good update to it. It has additional graphical effects, which are integrated closely enough that you don't really notice. Um, but if you go back and look at comparisons to the original, you'll see them. Um, the lighting engine in particular was really updated for the 2015 uh, remaster. The character models, because they're uh, polygons that are generated in real time, could be upscaled really well to, uh, you know, 1920 by 1080 uh, or even higher resolutions than that. If you play on certain platforms, actually, I think it's just PC. You can run the game at 60 frames per second, whereas uh, the original ran at 30 and all of the other uh, ports run at 30. It has an optional uh, 16 by 9 display mode. Which is it presents kind of an interesting problem, and I think, Spencer, you and I played this differently uh, this time, because I am a fan of the widescreen mode that they integrated. They do this kind of, like, uh, like pan and scan sort of thing, like in old movies, where uh, for some screens where you go into, where, because, um, you know, widescreen would stretch it out, it doesn't stretch the image out, it just makes it so um, some of the top and bottom is lost. But it was done very sympathetically to make sure that there's never any important details being lost. And sometimes you'll enter a room and the camera will pan down a bit so you get the top of the room when you enter it. And then you can move around and it doesn't interrupt it. Yeah, I played this in 4x3. It's a little weird to me that a game that came out in... Because this was came out in 2015. Yep. And as you were going to mention, they did lose some of the original background art. So yeah. I think they had to remake some, right? They did, yeah. There's a really good uh, Digital Foundry article on it. Um, some of the more noteworthy areas were remade. Other, you can tell the difference if you look really closely. Like some areas look better than others because they just kept the original assets for the areas that uh, were less interesting. Yeah. So given that, I would have liked to have seen some actual uh, backgrounds rendered for 16 by nine because widescreen mm -hmm. was pretty common in 2015. You know. Yeah, it was the standard. Nobody was nobody besides, I think, the 3DS was the only platform still going for 4x3. Yeah, so this game is beautiful, and I wanted to see those full backgrounds. I didn't want cropped ones, especially since I uh, had to do some wiki diving to try to troubleshoot, troubleshoot some other technical issues I was having. Mm -hmm. And a common thread that popped up was recommendations to play it in 4x3. I don't think the community looks very positively on the, the 16x9 mode. Wow, I had no idea. I've never really dived into the, the kind of community approach to this game. So they, they think that like there's too much lost with the, the pan and scan? Yeah, exactly. I can dig it. I guess also worth noting uh, for the PC port, this was not future-proofed all that well because any resolution higher than... Uh, oh, I forget what the 4x3 one is, but once you go above basically 1080 the menu doesn't let you do it, so you have to change it by <laughs> altering config files. Yeah. Usually, I'm used to there being, um, especially a game franchise with as big of a community as Resident Evil, I'm used to there being community mods that can usually fix most of that stuff, but there wasn't with this. Yeah. Just to be abundantly clear, though, uh, this game still looks incredible. You're just going to have to accept the fact that if you're using a widescreen monitor, 
you're going to have black bars on the side if you play in four by three. You know, it, like it's like watching old TV shows or, or movies made in a certain uh, certain visual format. You like you just have to accept that kind of artifice if you're going to engage with the stuff and, and not engaging with the stuff loses you so much. Like this is one of the high points of uh, video game horror, uh, in my opinion. Maybe this is just me showing how old I am, but in my, you know, 2015 still feels recently enough that I think some people might pick this up with the expectation of it being a little friendlier to modern hardware than it is. I will say, I think one of the reasons that Capcom may have um, not prioritized that PC port is that uh, the original version of this game did not sell well. It was uh, a bit of a, not a sales disaster, but a sales disappointment on the GameCube. Uh, survival horror historically, outside of that, that little halcyon era of like 1996 to 1999, is not a best-selling genre. And I think Capcom was expecting this game to perform much better on the GameCube than it did. So when the PC port was announced, uh, fan response, especially in the West, was very high. But I think Capcom was still expecting it not to deliver. In fact, overnight, it became Capcom's fastest-selling digital release in the first week of release in the West in January 2015. It was uh, just a sales marvel. I think it took the studio completely by surprise and is probably the reason that we ended up with remakes of Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 later on. Now, as far as the story, uh, Hamilton, did you want to give us just a little quick summary of the overall uh, arc of it, just for folks who might not have listened to our first Resident Evil episode? Yeah, I mean, basically it kind of runs the same as Resident Evil 1, um, but with far better graphics. Yeah. uh, Different dialogues, and there's different cutscenes. In the beginning, the Bravo team ends up going missing. Um, while investigating the deaths in the Arclay Mountains. Um, I think it's in here that they go a bit more in-depth about, like, why people are disappearing or how they're disappearing. That's true. Like, they show little, like, newspaper clips and so Yeah. Forth. Yeah. Uh, sort of uh, charmingly misspelled newspaper clips. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And um, the Alpha team, Wesker, Jill, Chris, Barry, Joseph, and Brad, um, they're sent to find Bravo. Uh, Brad, their helicopter pilot, uh, he abandons them when they find zombie dogs, which again is like... The Cerberus. The Cerberus. That's that's yeah. the, the, the focal point. That's what draw you, drew you in in the very first Resident Evil. You see the Cerber... Cerberi? Cerberuses? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Latin into English, right? Yeah. So it's kind of anybody's guess. Yeah. Devouring uh, the diseased Bravo members. Um, Joseph is killed by the dogs. Joseph! I know. Poor Joseph. We all loved him. Yeah. As you expect, it kind of runs the way that the first one did. Wesker, Jill, Chris, and Barry running into the mansion uh, called the Spencer Estate. Um, they split into two groups. So Barry and Jill are together. And Chris, for whatever reason, is on his own. Well, actually not for whatever reason, because Wesker mysteriously disappears. 
Yeah, it's it's a little shaky, like the yeah. way that they split up. It's it's a little silly that they're all running towards the front door, and then if you play as Jill, she, Barry, and Wesker are there, and if you play as Chris, it's just him and Wesker. Yeah, and like that that's always been a little shaky to me, but like also who cares, you know? Exactly. They're probably thinking that no one's going to think too hard about what's happening. Yeah, and I didn't. <laughs> exactly. Me neither. Um. So Barry and Jill, or Chris, depending on who you play. Um, they split up and make their way through the mansion, uh, like they do in the first game. Uh, Chris will eventually find and team up with, uh, Rebecca Chambers, their me- uh, the medic, shouldn't say their medic, but a right. medic, um, and the lone survivor of Star's Bravo team. Yeah. So from there, they discover that the Spencer Estate is actually an underground, well, a front for an underground laboratory where they're creating the... The zombies and the monsters and the this and the that to sell to the uh, the government and or terrorists. Exactly, yeah. Whoever's going to pay the highest buck, yeah. Umbrella is not a scrupulous developer. No, no. They're, you know, their prices are very reasonable. And th- so you find out the T-virus outbreak in the lab results in the scientists and the guards turning into zombies. So mm-hmm. from there, you kind of figure out, like, oh, that's where the zombies uh, came from. And as I mentioned right. before, they were actually considered failures um, because... All the scientists were supposed to be, like, crimson heads and liquors, but whatever the case, you need some kind of basic foil monster to kill. Exactly, yeah. Like, you you, you gotta fight something in a Capcom game. Exactly. There's also the hunters, the Chimeras, the Chimeras, the (laughs) Cerberi, the Chimeras, the Chimeras, the Cerberi, Cerberuses, zombie sharks, and oversized spiders. Um, all of which escape their confinement because there's no one to really stop them from doing so. Right. And they overrun the area, so you're going to end up... That's why you run to Yawn and all the bosses. Mm-hmm. Similar to the first game. And similar to the first game. Uh, Wesker is revealed to be a traitor who is playing both Umbrella and Stars for his own gain. Mm-hmm. Again, he plays for Team Wesker. Always has, always will. Yeah. Um, he releases the Tyrant. He still monologues a lot. He, he still talks about how it's like the ultimate life form. He does. And he, oh my goodness. He'll go very much into ultimate life forms later. Yeah. Always. Um, but the tyrant is basically just like a giant humanoid bioorganic weapon. Mm-hmm. This one has a claw for an arm. Um, others will have different appendages. They're always trying to update the tyrant. But in this one, it's, I think this is a T-002. That sounds right. Yeah, I think I think I think it's a zero zero two. Yeah, like it's a prototype. I think we met the zero zero one in Resident Evil Zero. In Zero, yeah, because yeah. I remember reading about the prototype, but I don't think it's in this game. This is considered yeah. a bit better. Yeah, but still, yeah, like it's not quite to the level that they would get to with like Mister X and all. Exactly. Um, by the end of it, you end up trying to well, you do destroy the mansion through explosions. You defeat the tyrant. And to rescue by Brad, who's in his helicopter. Hooray, Brad comes Hooray. back. Hooray. The canon ending of this game is that uh, Chris, Jill, Barry, and Rebecca will all survive together. Yep. Yeah. Since they uh, all turn up either in later games or in later movies mm-hmm. in the uh, the timeline. Mm-hmm. And that pretty much, that pretty much wraps up the story. It's, it's pretty much the first game... Story-wise, they just kind of added this and that. Mostly the additions are gameplay. Exactly. Um, and much less story. 
So eh, that kind of wraps that up. Yeah. So this is pretty mechanically faithful to the original game with some small updates and then some major additions. Uh, we're back to tank controls. Mm-hmm. The 2015... Well, I shouldn't say back to. We haven't left them yet. <laughs> <laughs> there is a uh, 3D analog option in the 2015 version that lets it control more like a traditional action game, but mm-hmm. you can change that back to tank controls, which is what I think all three of us probably recommend for it. Yeah, I was going to ask, actually, did either of you play with like the traditional 3D controls or did you go with tank controls like I did? Tank controls. I went with the tank controls just because it's tradition. So yeah, did. like it was built for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that it gives you the option, so it's not a barrier to entry for new players, which is nice. Also, at this point, we've spent so many hours playing with the tank controls that it feels not unnatural. It's true, yeah. I have a strange affection for them, but I, I recognize that I'm the odd man out on that. I still dislike them, but I wanted yeah. it to be uh, kind of faithful to the original, so I was like, I'll do it. Right, the full thing. But I do hate them. <laughs> <laughs> Some small differences with that, though. Uh, you can stop partway upstairs, a la Code Veronica. Mm. You also get the 180-degree quick turn, first introduced in Resident Evil 3. Mm-hmm. And you, your movement speed is tied to the weapon you have equipped. So if you just have your knife or nothing, you run faster than if you have a gun. I don't remember if that was the case in the original, but I don't think we talked about it. So I don't know if none of us noticed it or if this is a new mechanic. Yeah, I don't think that's the case in any preceding... Like, I wouldn't swear to it, but I don't think that's the case in any preceding Resident Evil game. I mean, I didn't notice it here, so it might have been the case earlier, too. You can still pick either Jill or Chris to start with. Chris uh, has more health than Jill and gets a lighter. Jill gets more inventory space and a lockpick. Each character has different partners, and those partners impact how the game plays out. This is sort of interesting, because the game does actually have different endings based on the order of operations in which you do certain things, and whether or not you complete certain side objectives to keep your partners alive. Did either of you have your partner character die? No. No, I didn't have any of mine. Mm -mm. But I'm also super careful about that kind of stuff, so I guess... When I play video games, I tend to try very hard to, like, keep characters alive, especially, like, when I know there's so many games out there that try to trick Mm -hmm. you and just, like, oh, by the way, if you keep rejecting this character, they die at some point. Right, right. Like, I'm obsessed with that. So this game, I was like, no, everyone has to survive. Yeah. Yeah, like, you'd feel like a monster if, like, Rebecca or Barry died, right? I always do, which is why, you know... Playing, like, the um, the Fire Emblem games was always hard for me. Yeah, it's it's a real, uh, you know, you kind of got to pick which type of game you want to experience there. Like, do you want to experience the sting of uh, mortality, <laughs> or do you want to uh, want to optimize your run? Um, I will say, if memory serves, I can't remember the condition that results in Rebecca dying, but she can be beheaded by a hunter, which is a pretty grim fate uh, for such a delightful character. And... Barry, uh, I think, can be killed by Lisa Trevor if you don't give him his uh, his magnum back after he is revealed to have betrayed you. Uh, like, you gotta put your faith back in Barry. That one I do know, because when I originally played this game, not this run-through, but the original, mm-hmm. I didn't trust him. Right. But I didn't know he was gonna die, so I was just like, no, I'm not gonna give you this thing back, and then Lisa Trevor impales him. And I was like, oh, crap! But I also didn't know whether I was sad or not, because, like, well, you also... Like, betrayed my myself, my trust. Yeah, that's what you get, Barry. Right, jerk. 
Nah. We're, we're Barry stands here. Yeah. Yeah. And you get to keep his revolver, though, if he dies, and that's a very powerful weapon. See? I had no idea. Oh, that's cool. Also, if you fail to rescue Rebecca from the Spencer Mansion right at the very beginning, you actually don't have to do the second Tyrant fight. What? Really? I Yeah, I watched a speed run of this just to refresh my memory last night, and you can skip the helipad tyrant fight. If you just don't rescue Rebecca, then <laughs> the tyrant never breaks through the helipad and fights you a second time. Huh. That's wild. Interesting. So, um, so do you just go out onto the helipad and Brad's there? Pretty much. Well, now I'm going to go do a run like that. Yeah, I'm curious. Correct me if I'm wrong, we first ran into this in RE2, I think, where the key items that each character has does not take up an inventory spot. So that would be the lighter for Chris or the lockpick for Jill. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I can't remember. I know that we encountered it before. I thought for some reason that they still took up space in 2 and 3. I would have I said Code Veronica, but I wouldn't swear to it. But you're right. Like it Somewhere in the previous games between RE1 and the remake, this changed, and the remake continues the more recent style uh, additionally we get new item type called defense items mm-hmm. and these are kind of huge um there's a difference between chris and jill here chris can just get the daggers whereas jill gets both daggers and tasers mm-hmm. or more specifically she has a taser and you find new battery packs for the taser the way these work are uh they're an item that gets equipped and if an enemy uh grapples you Either automatically or by pressing a button, you can change which in the options, your character will deploy these items to attack the zombie and stop the attack before it damages you, and it does a lot of damage to them. These are pretty incredible. Uh, I noticed when I first started playing through this, I didn't check actual number values on the wiki or anything to corroborate this, but it felt like zombies did more damage in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that defense items are part of that balance because it's just more vocabulary other than just chugging herbs to mitigate damage. And on that front, not only do they mitigate damage, uh, I think roughly two green herbs worth of damage per attack, because like I said, attacks seem to do more than just one green herb worth Mm -hmm. of damage now. They do a significant amount of damage to zombies when you do it. And they don't take up an inventory space. So these are great. They are herbs and ammo that you don't need a slot for. All bundled into one. Uh, The other major mechanic, I think this one is less new player friendly, but we can get into that, Mm -hmm. are the Crimson Heads. So to add kind of more tension and difficulty to this, when you kill a zombie in the Resident Evil remake, if you do not kill it in a way that explodes its head... It will, over time, and the time varies, it will come back as a Crimson Head, which is a faster, stronger, more aggressive zombie. Yeah. The way you have to deal with this is by setting them on fire after you kill them. You do that by lugging around a jug of kerosene that you can Mm -hmm. refill in some of the save rooms, and a lighter. And there's a limited amount of refills that you can get. Exactly. Uh, I have some nitpicks with this. I think this system is really cool and it definitely adds to the tension that mikami wanted in this but it feels like a little bit of a trap for new players because the game doesn't communicate this to you really at all so if you're playing through it for the first time you can run into a situation where 
Oh, I'm making up something of a straw man here. I assume new <laughs> players tend to be pretty aggressive about killing zombies as they play through Resident Evil, which Presumably. is already slightly discouraged by the resource balance, but I, I digress. So if a first-time player is going through this and they're killing a lot of the zombies, because it's not communicated that they'll come back as a harder enemy, I think probably about an hour and a half in, they might run into a situation where the Spencer Mansion is now just lousy with <laughs> with Crimson Heads, and I right. think that would be really discouraging. I would think so. Yeah, ironically, if you don't kill a zombie, it won't turn into a crimson head. Uh, so you you can actually reduce your crimson head count by avoiding zombies rather than shooting them, paradoxically. Which I think uh, really supports your, your, your thesis there, Spencer, that like the new player is more likely to encounter more crimson heads than the player who has more experience with the series. Exactly. And the... The system of running back and burning them, I, I don't necessarily like mm -hmm. because you already are doing a lot of shuttle runs back and forth from save rooms. That's yeah. already part of the mechanic of, the, of of Resident Evil, or not the mechanic, but that's kind of the cycle of gameplay. Right. And inventory space is still really tight in this, so I did not generally want to run around as Jill with a you know two inventory slots taken up by a lighter and the kerosene. So it was just another step of killing some zombies that I felt were in an area where it was advantageous to do so, then having to run back, get the stuff, come back, burn it, and then when I needed another puzzle item, run back, put the kerosene back, come back through. It was just a real annoying movement tax, and I mentioned in the original episode about how that is kind of important for Resident Evil, mm -hmm. needing to backtrack through the same area over and over again because that is part of the uh, risk-reward equation you have to do when deciding whether or not to spend ammo killing a zombie or to just avoid it. Yeah. But by the very nature of this, to run back and forth again to get the things to burn a zombie, it means you've already killed that zombie. So that's not really part of the equation here. The risk of running back through the hall, uh, populated hallway is gone because the reason you're running back through it is because you just depopulated that hallway. It's kind of like just, just checking a box on a list. Yeah, I think, and I was trying to think, because again, I do like what Crimson Heads add to this, so I was trying to think what would have made this system less annoying to me, mm -hmm. and I think if they had allowed some way of burning the zombies to exist outside of the inventory in the same way that like the lockpick or defense items do, but yeah. gave you less overall instances of incinerating a zombie... It would be more of a uh, strategical decision of whether or not you want to use this one of these really precious resources now to stop it from being a crimson head later and would eliminate the need to just run back and forth from the save room two more times every trip. Yeah, and I was going to say that like part of this mechanic is uh, knowing where your kerosene re refills are. Uh, so like those stops in strategic locations on the way to burn zombies, I think is an important part of this, but you could still have that be the case. Like you could just, you could deplete that resource, but have it, um, fill up outside of the inventory system. Cause that would be more fair. Cause, cause as you said, like they don't actually give any indication that they're going to become crimson heads. I believe that pretty much any zombie can, I guess it's just, uh, RNG mm -hmm. is like whether they will pop up as one or not? Yeah, I've never been clear on it. There are certain ones that it feels like always do, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not sure like what the timetable is. Like it, it does feel 
very random as to when some of them pop up and, and whether they pop up at all or just disappear. Yeah, I'm personally not sure if, if any listeners have any idea if yeah, they leave in the know. comments because I'm not quite sure. Although they do have some history as to why they exist. Yeah, tell us about that. What's, what's the story on these Crimson Heads, Hamilton? Um, well, there's two theories. Uh, mm-hmm. One is supplementary material that says that they're actually, um, they're mutant strains of the T-virus. Yeah, the Epsilon strain, I think, right? There's there's so many different strains <laughs> of the T-virus. So I guess the, the Epsilon version of it, but what happens is that if you shoot a zombie, similar to, um... When we're aggressed on, or someone comes after us, you know the fight or flight response, mm-hmm. yeah. where blood pumps faster. Right. Um, so technically, the reason why they're red is because blood is pumping through their system much faster, kind of like you're Weird. doping your body, which is why they're stronger and faster. <laughs> you wouldn't think they'd have a beating heart, right? That's why apparently they have like dust and steam coming out of like their bodies because the steam <laughs> is um, is their sweat that's basically just evaporating immediately because they're. Their body's heart, or their body is pumping so much blood through its system to try and attack. That is cool. Um, on the other hand, there's a, the strong possibility that they just wanted to make this game harder. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, well, angry red zombies would make the game harder, and you would have no idea they exist. So it's up to you, listeners. It's which one, it's which one you find more interesting and or believable. Yeah, like, this is Capcom. This is not, like, Hideo Kojima. Um... You know, right. like the, the 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 gameplay always comes first in a Capcom game. So mm-hmm. you know that second reason is plainly the reason that they exist. But I do like that there's. I know there's at least one document in the game that explains uh, kind of the origin of the Crimson Heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite bit of trivia about them is that the Epsilon strain of the T virus is also what creates liquors. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, this is kind of like an alternate, uh, accidental earlier version of the liquors. Uh, that just isn't quite as polished. Uh, once Umbrella would discover the liquors, mm-hmm. they would go on to recreate that in laboratories, whereas the Crimson Heads never turn up again. While Hamilton was talking, I did some digging to get some more insight on the exact uh, Crimson Head revival mechanic, if oh, okay. we want to go into ah. that at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be curious yeah, to find curious. out more. Yeah, I didn't research it. Mm-hmm. So it looks like at least it, there's a chart here. So the difficulty that you choose when you play the game changes these intervals. But on normal, at least, it looks like every 15, 35, 70, and 80 minutes, a the game will basically do a random check to determine whether or not a dead zombie is going to come back as a crimson head if it does not, if it hasn't been burned or decapitated. Yeah. So I think theoretically, any zombie can and will become a crimson head given enough time elapsed in game. It reminds me a lot of, um, like, uh, Capcom was really into hiding these mechanics in the 2000s, and it reminds me a lot of something that we'll talk about in a couple of months with Resident Evil 4, the uh, adaptive difficulty, where, um, you know, there there are some interesting calculations going on behind the scenes that you don't notice as the player, but that have an impact on your game that you do feel. So that that's a pretty cool explanation. So what about the puzzles in this game, Spencer? We got some old puzzles that returned. 
Yeah. Uh, the tiger eye statue, where putting in each eye causes the head statue to rotate, revealing a new item. Mm-hmm. You've got the shotgun ceiling, where a ceiling trap triggers and will come down and crush Jill if you don't uh, put a broken shotgun in the good shotgun's place. It'll turn her into a, a Jill, Jill sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've got your herbicide mixing, where you dump herbicide into a sprinkler system and turn a valve to spray it on uh, plant 42. Mm-hmm classic now one thing i did want to check though because i didn't do this Mm -hmm. but i think this puzzle can hurt you if you do it incorrectly Hmm. because there's the sprinkler system and there's a valve that you can turn to the left or the right and the or it's a green pipe or a red pipe and if you look if you follow those pipes in the the area one leads to the plant (laughs) and then one routes out near a shelf that has a bunch of green herbs on it yeah, we've conflated you, something here. Sorry, go on, go on. I was going to say, if you do this wrong, do you kill the green herbs? You do. Um, we, we've okay. we've conflated something here, and I think this is this is fun because, and I can't remember my edit of the Resident Evil One episode, but we we actually we conflated these two things in the Resident Evil One episode as well, and we kind of tried to had a tried to puzzle it through. Um, this the 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 herbicide mixing for Plant Forty Two. And the herbicide pouring in to kill this, like, little minor evil plant are two different puzzles. I thought, wait, hold on. I thought that that mini plant was just roots and tentacles from Plant 42 that had worked their way up through this water system and were poking up through the fountain from underneath. I'll bet you're right. Yeah, I'll, I'll bet you're right about that. Um, it, it just, it occurred to me that, um, yes, you're, you're right about this puzzle. The herbicide mixing that I was thinking of was creating the... Um, what is it? Where, like, you have the little laboratory and you got to mix all the different uh, things together to oh, make right, right, the, right. Uh, the thing that'll kill the big plant boss. You had to... Uh, oh, now, what does it call? It sounds like a like a bad 7-Eleven energy drink. It does. <laughs> it's a very silly name, and I can't believe I can't think of it. It's like bio... Bio-lightning or something. Yeah, bio-lightning. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I was going to look it up, but it'll be funnier if I don't, so... We'll just call it bio-lightning for now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you mix the bio-lightning to kill Plant 42. Yeah, no, but uh, there, yeah, it, it is kind of funny. It's There are two different instances of uh, of applying herbicide to kill a plant in this game. And both are optional. But yeah, you can totally melt that stack of green and red herbs if you uh, pour, if you flip the valve to the wrong side on the earlier puzzle. Mm-hmm. That's kind of funny. <laughs> it is. It's a good gag. It's It reminds me of those like Dark Souls gags where it's like, it's kind of a... Like, uh, you got punked, and, um, <laughs> you know, this is like, you, you got punked by Mikami here. We also have some new puzzles. Uh, some of the standout ones, we've got a key duplicate trap with whirling blades. Mm-hmm. Uh, you walk into a hallway, and there's these armor statues, including one that has a bunch of uh, really scary-looking spikes on the front, with a key embedded in the floor. And when you try to take the key, the statues close in and box you in, while the uh, spike statue starts moving in slowly to shred you because the shield will start spinning yep and so you have to make a fake key to replace it with to get through here Uh, and you get that fake key this is sort of an interesting one Mm -hmm. that's strapped to a dog's collar and you have to get a dog whistle to summon the dog that has the the fake key on its neck a literal dog whistle Mm -hmm. i really like this puzzle quite a bit uh partially because it scarred me as a young person playing it on my rented blockbuster copy 
but also because there is a delay between when you put the key in and when the whirling blades get to you, and you just kind of need to stand there and wait for it. And uh, I really like that. It, it's a rare bit of uh, kind of cruel, unavoidable dread in a Resident Evil game. I thought it was I was weird with that whirling blade trap that there's inscriptions on each statue <laughs> right, that right. I thought implied there was going to be some kind of riddle to solve as to how to deactivate this trap. But I guess they're just there for flavor. They don't actually have anything to do with stopping the trap. It really has the cadence of a puzzle to solve, doesn't it? Like it, it really yeah. suggests that, that you're supposed to figure something out. But no, you're just supposed to go get a duplicate key. <laughs> The Neptune area has been pretty overhauled. That's mm -hmm. a lot larger and more involved now. And part of that is a puzzle. It's kind of just an order of operations puzzle, though, right? Where you it's have pretty to, light. Yeah. 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 You have to work through certain controls in order to close shutters in the control room and then drain the water out. This part I remember very well from the original game. And I kept getting this confused with the, uh, with the original original. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was like, wait, but don't you have to like... Um, don't you have to, like, change this valve and, like, go up this and go up that because you don't want, like, Neptune to escape or you don't want the wire exactly. to rise? And it's, it's, it's as, uh, as Spencer said, it's very overhauled. But this part did confuse me. I remember, yeah, like, we talked about that in the in the uh, Season 2, Episode 1. Um, yeah. Because, like, the this whole portion, the Aqua Ring, is just so much more memorable here. And it's mm -hmm. more or less an afterthought in the original game. Like, you get this kind of, like, goofy shark going through that you can very easily avoid mm -hmm. but here like good heavens you have to avoid multiple sharks and one of them can chomp you in a single bite you know yep. neptune himself mm -hmm. yeah and then you get down into the control room and it's like it's smashing on the glass and if you don't yes. do this order of operations fast enough the control room will either fill with water or you'll be eaten alive that's why i remember this so well and why I kept getting, like, the fast confused with the first game. So I was just like, really? Was the first game that boring? Right, right. Well, I mean, compared to, like, what they did with the um, the sharks in this one. Exactly. It's it's night and day. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, the Neptune portion of this is one of the coolest sequences of the game. Mm -hmm. One of my uh, favorite little details with Neptune is after you've drained the water uh, and you have to walk past the big apparently dead shark to get uh, a key item, he will uh, flail and just bite you whole he'll 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 eat you whole mm -hmm. um so you actually you have to either empty a bunch of ammo into it or drop a generator into the water pool that it's uh kind of like uh it's it's got its head in in order to prevent yourself from being killed by it that's it's, how i uh, it's again it's a nice little yeah. troll moment right that's how i found out the very first time many mm -hmm. years ago when i played this i thought it was dead and it I was looks like, dead it looked pretty dead and I guess, you know, I was naive back in the day. I'm just like, you know, to stroll past this monstrous zombie thing that clearly yeah. has to be like dead and not undead. And then I got yeah. bit and died. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it, like, it's it's a great white shark that's like four times the, the size of a standard real world great white shark. So, you right. know, it's, it's automatically terrifying. And then it looks kind of zombified on top of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's extra scary. And so, yeah, that that moment where you get eaten is like. That it's one of those jump. perfect horror <laughs> moments where it's like, it's immediately scary and horrifying, and then you can't help but laugh. I did get jump scared, and then I was just like, oh, well, of course that happened. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're, you're generally not too far from a save room in this, so, you know, yeah. you might have to replay, like, ten minutes or something, but it it's worth it for the gag, I think. It, it was, it's kind of like, 
oh, I won't spoil it, but there is something in Resident Evil 4 that is mm-hmm. also funny. But we'll get there when we get there. Exactly. Uh, moving on to probably my least favorite section of this game mm-hmm. is the, the Nitro section. Uh, this is a portion where you have to transport some nitroglycerin and being uh, very unstable and explosive, you cannot get hit by an enemy, mm-hmm. but you also cannot run. You have to walk the whole way that the nitro is in your inventory. This feels like an idea that somebody proposed and everybody thought would be a cool idea because it does sound like a cool idea on the face of it as like a way to increase tension, but it's it's not fun. I mean... The inability to take damage with this makes sense because that inc- that significantly increases the challenge of this, right? By giving you zero margin of failure, right. and that increases tension. But taking no- just cutting down your movement speeds, it just sucks. It doesn't add anything. It just makes you do it slower. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and especially in a game where your movement is already inherently hampered by tank controls, like that already is the movement tension. You don't you don't really need to enhance that. Yeah. How about new weapons? Yeah, so we've got. I think there's only three new ones that don't appear in the in the original. Mm-hmm. That's the we've got the assault shotgun. Yeah. I didn't get this in my playthrough. Uh, you get it from is it Richard? Yeah, it's I believe Richard, it is I Richard. Yeah, I did get it in my playthrough. Yeah, so he's attacked by Yawn the Snake, and you have to get Serum to save him, mm-hmm. uh, which I did, and then he will help you in the first Yawn fight. Right. And then does he give it to you after that if you do enough damage to Yawn? I just ran from the snake and took the item. No, he, he gets eaten by the snake. It, it happens um, It happens slightly differently, and I can't remember what affects how it happens, but um, if he helps you in the Yawn fight, Yawn appears to be beaten and then eats Richard and you get his shotgun. However, there's an alternate version of this where uh, Richard gets eaten by Neptune the shark. And I can't remember if it has to do with like which character you're playing as. Um, I played Jill for this run. I don't know. You get it from Richard if you manage to save him uh, from being poisoned. Uh, whereas in the original, of course, Richard was doomed from the start. You had to do the the run to get the serum, but he would die anyway. We mentioned this a little earlier. If you let uh, Barry get killed by Lisa Trevor's when you're playing through his Jill, yeah. uh, you get his Magnum. Mm-hmm. This is, I think, the same damage values as the normal Magnum, but yeah, you just get six shots in this thing. You don't find any uh, reloads for it. No kidding. It's just the one one time use, huh? Well, it's got six bullets in the chamber. Really? Yeah, six time use. Six time use. Yeah. The self-defense gun, though, our last new weapon, uh, is a one-time use. That's basically a magnum with just one bullet in it. And despite being called the self-defense gun, it is not a defense item, which would have been nice if it had taken up a, a non-inventory slot, but it does take up an inventory slot. Thank you for explaining this, because this drove me crazy. I got one of these, and I was like, well, why is it in my inventory? Why isn't it a defense item? And so then I stored it in the box and never used it. I was really yeah. wondering what it did. It's really weird. It's... I don't know its inclusion. <laughs> <laughs> it's just worse than Magnum ammo, because it's basically just picking up one Magnum bullet, except it doesn't stack with Magnum bullets. Yeah. It's it's a really weird choice. Hmm. Yeah. It, it feels almost like something that stuck in the game from an earlier draft, doesn't it? Yeah. Hmm. The mansion has been redesigned. Yeah. 
what I would consider some of the more iconic rooms are there and unchanged, mm-hmm. like the the dog hallway. Right, right. When on the right when you first enter the mansion. Mm-hmm. Although the dog gag does change, right? Does it? Yes. When you go through the dog hallway for the first time, the 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 dog jumping through the window, of course, being maybe the most memorable early jump scare from the original Resident Evil. When you go down the hallway this time, uh, the glass uh, cracks but doesn't break, and no dog comes through. It's when you travel back through it in the opposite direction that uh, a dog enters, which I think is a pretty cool riff on the original scare. Good catch. I didn't remember that beat where it fails to break through the glass on its first attempt. I just love that. That that That's always stuck with me as a really fun way to mess with uh, player expectations. We touched on the Shark Tank area. Right. This is a lot cooler now. It's Instead of just being a cement floor with some waist-deep water that sharks somehow swim through, mm-hmm. it looks more like one of those gigantic cylindrical aquari- uh, like tanks that you might see at an aquarium. Yeah. And it looks like it's some, almost an observation deck around the top of it this little metal walkway around the top rim of the tank mm-hmm. so now that this has flooded it's brought the water level up to just above that observation deck so now the sharks are able to swim up out of their tank and along at player level that's a great observation i never really thought about what had gone wrong in this area uh to make it dangerous i guess i just always assumed that the sharks were a danger to the workers because umbrella right Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, now that you point that out, yeah, like this this would have been a cool place to look down at the sharks, but then the sharks came to you. Exactly. It, it just makes it, it seems a little less inherently silly than just sharks swimming around in such shallow water on the floor. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does make the original uh, like aqua ring area seem like a joke. No, maybe this is what they wanted from the start. I don't know. Almost certainly. Almost because certainly, like. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the certainly the outdoor area behind the mansion was planned in the original game, and mm-hmm. they just couldn't implement it. So it, it wouldn't shock me if this, too, had been planned as a more ambitious area from the start. Mm-hmm. But Capcom only had so many dollars to throw at a new IP in 1996. So they're just like, well, you know, it's an area, it's new, we'll make it work. Yeah, put some shattered glass in there and a couple sharks, you got yourself an aqua ring. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a quick note that I picked up from watching that speed run, you can actually dodge that chomp from the shark without having to drop the generator in the water. No way. Yep. Hmm. Cool. It seems really precise and hard to do, but you can do it. I guess it cuts like two seconds off your time of dropping the generator, right? Eh? <laughs> yep. <laughs> nice. Gotta save those frames. You do. You do. You gotta save those frames. There's a uh, large cemetery area added out behind the mansion that you get to from a... It's like a door kind of halfway up the staircase in the main foyer of the mansion. At first glance, it's just like some tombstones and things, but there's also a uh, a crypt there that you go down into that houses a boss, the Elder Crimson Head, which... Yeah. I'll brighten that up later under the boss section. There's a boss down there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then we've got a a little forest and a small... I think it's like a... It's like a tool shed almost uh, that Lisa Trevors currently lives in. Yeah, yeah, you kind of mm-hmm. go out there. It's it's the rare occasion of a um, a save room being made dangerous because uh, Lisa Trevor does attack you in it, and you have to walk past the typewriter while she's chasing you, which uh, always kind of spooks me. We haven't lost any bosses from the original, right? We've only gained new ones. No, I think every boss from the original is here, 
they've generally just been slightly expanded. Uh, but right. even mechanically, they're they're generally pretty similar to the original bosses. Yeah, a lot of the fights are the same. We've already gone over some of the small changes as right. we've gone through them. So the ability, so you, you, one big thing is that uh, you get allies that help you in some of these fights based on whether or not you save them. Mm-hmm. So that's big. Uh, you can skip Tyrant Two by doing certain things. Uh, the second yawn fight takes place in a library, so there's some cover to hide behind. Yeah, it's a lot cooler than that, like, weird little... I, I guess maybe it was supposed to be a library in the original, but it's just kind of like a marble room with a fireplace. Uh, but in this in this case, it's like this massive library that yawn kind of climbs down from the attic behind you as you're exploring one of its hallways. Like, it's, uh, it's very atmospheric. The Black Tiger fight's interesting, because hmm. uh, in that that room it's got i say black tiger but for those that haven't uh, listened to the original that's what they call a giant spider rather misleadingly yeah right yeah so black tiger the giant spider uh (laughs) in its room there's a there's a door that's covered with webs on the crisp playthrough you can use the flamethrower to get rid of those on the jill playthrough you can use the knife to slash at those and get through that door or the boss has an acid-spitting attack that you can bait out, and if the acid hits the door when you dodge it, that'll actually also get rid of some of the web. No kidding! That's a cool find. Hmm. So, if you come properly equipped for that, you can actually skip that boss fight. You can just get the web off the door and run. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of the big new ones is the Crimson Head prototype, a.k.a. the Elder Crimson Head. This is found in the tomb out in the back of the mansion, suspended from a coffin. And as you find these um, death masks that you put onto statues in there, the change will start to detach until eventually the coffin falls down and the boss pops up. Uh, this is interesting lore-wise. Do you want to talk about the Crimson Head prototype, Hamilton? Let's see. Um, I guess maybe it's not that much more interesting than what you already said about the Crimson Heads. This is just the first one. Yeah. So I kind of went, I kind of like looked up online to figure out like what the difference is. He was just found too dangerous for study after four lab personnel got killed by it, so that's why they stuck it in a coffin and chained it up out there. The next new boss, and maybe one of the coolest additions, is Lisa Trevor. Uh, She looks like a... Boy, how to describe her. She's a very lanky kind of zombie in manacles that's wearing kind of a... Oh, what's the word? A sack of sewn-together human faces? <laughs> That's an accurate way to describe it. <laughs> That's yeah. literally it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's some cool lore behind her, so I'm going to kick this over to Hamilton. So, Lisa Trevor is the daughter of George uh, Trevor, who helped build the estate in the first place. Um, George Trevor was betrayed by Spencer. What George Trevor did not know is that Spencer actually put traps for... Um, actually George in there or anybody else that he felt was a danger. So you can actually find George's body in this game. He got lost in the catacombs and died there. Uh, Going back to Lisa, however, um, she and her mother, I believe, they were given two different strains, an alpha and a beta version of the T-virus. I think the mother was given the alpha and she was given the beta, but I might be wrong, so don't quote me. I believe the mother instantly died, um, but she, however, absorbed it. 
So she became pretty much the progenitor of what the T-virus is and will become. Her body was able to absorb literally every single strain of the virus, the progenitor virus and the T-virus that they injected into her. And she just absorbed it. Now she went through terrible pain and she lost uh, pretty much most, if not all, of her mental faculties. Um, And there is a part where she talks about how lonely she is in her diary as her ability to write slowly deteriorates. Yeah, the diary stuff is brutal. It's brutal. The reason why she's wearing those three heads is because eventually she wants to wear the face of her mother because she's looking for her. And she mistakes, or whatever mental state she's in, she was like, oh, the scientists. So she rips their faces off and wears them. Mm-hmm. Although she knows they're not her mother, but she also understands that her kind of what she looks like is fairly atrocious. She also has an eye, which is indicative of, um, oh, who was the guy in Resident Evil 2? William Birkin. 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 Yeah, Birkin. So if you see her, you'll see kind of where Birkin got his, his eye look for his, um, his mutation. So in this game, she's basically just kind of wandering around the entire estate. She's looking for her mother. She is, um, in the shackles the entire time. And you might be thinking, well, why didn't she break them if she's this powerful and can do this? Well, she's... The reason why she still has them is because throughout the game, she's basically invincible. You can't attack her successfully. And Lore will state that the reason is because she's effectively invincible. Um, She could even take a tank shot. However, her physical strength did not increase along with her regenerative ability. So she's basically slightly stronger than the average person. Wow, I did not catch that. That's a that's a good bit of lore finding there. Yeah, so that's why she was deemed at the end a failure, and they were going to retire her anyway. However, she did break free, and she made her she made her living in a shack behind the uh, Spencer estate. <laughs> I like when you put it that way. It's like she ran an Etsy shop, right? Like she made her living back there. But there's a little fire brewing and, you know, she has enough mental faculties to keep herself warm. Yeah, that's part of the tragedy of Lisa Trevor, right? Like yeah. She's not, she's, not a, she's not a tyrant. She's still kind of a human. Yeah. Yeah, she's, in it, she's a little girl who's invincible and was therefore tortured and experimented on for 28 years. Yeah, definitely one of Umbrella's uh, grimmest uh, misadventures here. When I first ran into her when I was a kid, she actually gave me nightmares for weeks. Yeah. She terrified me. But she also intrigued me, which is why I read up so much about her lore, and they kept adding to it, because they're like, oh, crap, we actually created an interesting character. (laughs) But as far as the boss fight is concerned, I'm going to kick that off to uh, Spencer, because there is other lore on Lisa Trevor, but we will cover that in future games, because they have not been released yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, because Lisa Trevor is a really, you know, tragic figure, uh, and players are likely to have some sympathy toward her, they wanted to give you a non-lethal option of deal- doing this boss fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's basically a square platform with a uh, coffin on it, and then these four rocks attached to chains, and then chains are attached to the the coffin lid. 
I think is how that's that's set up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's, sort of hard to tell because yeah. like the rocks fall down, but the lid falls sideways. <laughs> I'm, I'm the physics of it specific. are a little questionable. For yeah. Sure. yeah, it's it's definitely more to be felt. Than they were just like, the yeah, end. it's like you'll feel sad enough where you're not going to question physics. Just feel sad yeah. for her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. But um, so if instead of uh, doing a critical amount of damage to her, if you push all the rocks off the edge of the arena while just running from her, then eventually the coffin will break open containing her mother. And when she sees and recognizes her mother's skull, uh, she will stop the fight and jump off the edge of the, the thing, too. This does not kill her, but it does end the fight. Yeah, after grabbing her mother's skull, all she just and she says in this haunting way, mother. Yeah, it's it's very affecting. It's it's one of the more uh, successful Resident Evil boss fights, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings us around to final impressions. Spencer, what did you think of this game? Uh, I really like this. Uh, I think this pretty much obsoletes the original. Uh, Everything it adds is pretty good. It's weird to say it. I think this is a little less new player friendly than the original, though, for the reasons I went over in the gameplay section. But it's still worth checking out. Uh, it, It looks gorgeous today. I was... I mean... Granted, I did play the 2015 HD one, not the original GameCube one, but it, it, it looks incredible. Um, and it goes on sale on Steam a lot, so there's really no reason not to pick this up. Well, eh, I, I'm going to amend that. I think it's probably better to pick this up on console, just because of some of the technical quirks that they run into on PC. It does go on sale on console a lot, too. Uh, just just to be clear for listeners, it uh, if you just wait a little bit, you can get this sucker for five bucks, and it's the best five dollars you will ever spend. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, oh, I think this is probably the best game to jump into the franchise at. It gets you at the beginning of the story. It looks good. Uh, and, you know, even though we recommend the tank controls, if you if those are really abrasive to you and something of a deal breaker... You can turn that off, and you can enjoy this in a way that's a little more, uh, I don't know, feels better to you. So, Yeah. Uh, how about you, Chris? What do you think? I think this is the peak of traditional Resident Evil. I think um, Resident Evil 2 gives it a run for its money. Um, but Resident Evil 2 looks a lot rougher at this point and plays a little bit rougher in certain ways, whereas this goes down really easy. Um, and still has a lot of scares. Like the areas that you explore are kind of like like they're a haunted house, right? You know, it like it it's it's exploring a haunted house every October. Like you get to go through and you get to encounter the zombie dogs, the zombies, uh, certainly the more profound horrors of Lisa Trevor, but also the more like goofy kind of Frankenstein science horror of like Wesker and the tyrant and so forth. It's like, it's a little bit of everything, and um, just the the art design is so perfect. None of the bosses are too hard. Like, um, 
the game does get challenging at times, but also uh, the one thing that I find in support of like uh, some of the little difficulty spikes in it, like the crimson heads or so forth, is that they tend to happen pretty early in the game. So if you've already gotten yourself to a difficult point, you can restart. And, you know, it's not a really big time investment. I think it's nearly perfect as far as survival horror goes. It's it's the kind of like, it's, it's the campy action horror to Silent Hill's intense psychological horror. You mentioned campy. Did we somehow neglect to mention that they redid the voice acting so that it's less ridiculous? I, I, you know, I don't, I don't remember. I think we mentioned it very briefly. Like they, they definitely like they redid all of the dialogue and like, it's kind of a bummer that it's not as goofy as the original, but also like you can, you can get the originals in a YouTube video and then play the game. That's much better. Right. (laughs) I don't know. Like Spencer, what do you think about like the, the change in dialogue in this? I think it makes it a lot better. You know, as much as I love the whole, you know, Jill sandwich and, as grenades being especially effective against living things and all that. <laughs> um, yeah, with with how realistic and like good and spooky this looks, I think the better dialogue fits this particular game a lot better. Yeah. I, I'm glad that they made the change. And it's still like it's still a little campy. Like it's kind of Resident Evil Four campy. Mm-hmm. Hamilton, what about you? What did you think of this game? I, this game is, besides Resident Evil 2, which I pretty much said was one of my favorites, this is probably my favorite mm-hmm. to play solo. One of my favorites to play multiplayer will come later. <laughs> um, and that game will not be my favorite solo. This one, no. this one's really good. It's stuck with me throughout many years. This is the game that, when I think of Resident Evil, this game in particular pops up. Not the original, original the quote-unquote remake. Um, I hate tank controls, but this game is good enough where it's like, it's fun to play. I love the fact that they added more lore. Um, I love the addition of Lisa Trevor and her lore. This game kind of tries to appease everyone, but does it in a way that's fairly successful. Those who like a little bit of lore, you know, building up the world, you know, there's novels around, there's um, different information to give that to you. Um, if you like the action, hey, there's plenty of action here. You like thriller? I mean, heck, go through uh, Neptune's uh, chambers for a bit and try not to get attacked Or when you hear a giant shark bang against the wall. Like, this will put you on edge. Yeah. And that's what it's there for. This game does its job very well. The only reason that I don't give it a perfect score is because the randomness of the uh, Crimson Heads for me. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, now I... Apparently, there actually is um, reasoning behind who turns into what. But I had been killed by them a few times and I thought they were dead. (laughs) Or I thought the zombies were dead and I thought I was good. And then I go back into a room um, and the things would just like kill me and I might be low on ammo. And one might be thinking, oh, well, that's kind of your fault. You know, you got to watch your ammo and stuff like that. But those things are hard to kill. They really are. So I'm like, no, I felt a little punished the first time I played this game. Mm -hmm. This time I knew what to expect a little bit. I still couldn't really tell who was going to change. So I was like, eh, that's the one thing I wish that they either perfected or just got rid of. 
Or yeah. like there's zombie head or there's crimson heads in the first place and I knew exactly where they were the moment I saw them. They don't revive and come back as them. So yeah, I would say a nine point five. I strongly, strongly recommend those who can pick up this game and play it. that's all we have for resident evil remake we hope you've enjoyed listening and encourage you to come back next time for resident evil zero in the interim consider backing us at patreon.com franchise festival or putting a review up for us on itunes or the podcast app of your choice if you back us on patreon you'll get access to a bonus episode each month and even have the chance to vote on future episode topics if you have any suggestions, you can also drop us a line on Twitter using the handle at franchise underscore fest, or email us at franchisefestival at gmail.com. We've been your hosts, Chris, Spencer, and I'm Hamilton. Thanks for listening, folks. Goodbye.